This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to this week's edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio Program on Community Radio 3CR 855am digital live streaming and a whole bunch of ways you can listen to 3CR. Thank you to Democracy Now! for the last hour of current affairs. My name's Chris and Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio. We're a weekly program about cycling, sustainable transport and related matters coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Yes, we're just uh, still having our subscriber drive at the moment and uh, don't forget there's power in numbers, there's power in independent community-run media. Join the growing number of people fighting it back by feeding your radical activist radio station and uh, subscriptions, pretty good, you know, 35 concession, 75 waged or 150 if you're for solidarity if you're a band or an organisation. So you can call 3CR on 9419 8377. And uh, on today's show, I'm going to do a catch up with Alan from Freestyle Cyclists about upcoming event they have in uh, Melbourne, I believe across Australia. And uh, <coughs> wish we had a cough button sometimes. But uh, yeah, and a bit uh, interesting uh, developments to do with uh, managing helmet legislation. You're probably sick of it, but. These are important issues that people wish to discuss, and that is the reason for this program. And uh, you may have noticed over the weekend a very interesting little news snippet coming out of New South Wales that uh, Labor vows to end the war on cyclists with $412 million for active transport. If you've listened to this show over the last decade, you realise that uh, New South Wales is extraordinarily problematic when it comes to either getting cycling infrastructure built, it's staying in place and not being removed because of uh, running political interference, and or really bad attitudes up there. So... uh, the uh, beginning of this uh, article, Labor is promising to encourage more people to ride and walk by boosting spending on cycling, cycleways and pedestrian links to 412, no, $412 million over the next four years if it wins the state election next month. Vowing to reinvigorate active transport, Labor's transport spokeswoman Jodie McKay said it would invest the money, if elected, into cycling and pedestrian infrastructure as well as rail trials in regional New South Wales in its first term of government. You remember on the last show I was talking to Phil from the Tumont Batlow rail trial um, out there in the snowy, so that might be interesting news for them, but... um, Jodie McKay says further in this article, it's about getting trying to get people back on their bikes. Well, they've had a pretty good go out there making people stop riding their bikes up there. Some of the uh, discussions we've had over the years, like with um, 
oh, off the top of my head, it's just amazing. Like I put in a cycle away, then take it out and then um, absolutely irrational attitudes where basically, you know, it's got to be car as the dominant hierarchy on our roads instead of like we live in congested, built-up areas. Let's have a bit of logical, logical thinking or a bit of... <laughs> um, I just sometimes I'll read some of these things and go, this is lovely, but God, uh, probably 20 to 25 years of my experience, either monitoring, being in, involved with or whatever... Always expect the irrational out of people when it comes to cycling. It's it's a really bizarre thing because cycling as means of transport goes way way back to eighteen sixties, eighteen seventies, eighteen eighties. It's not a new thing. We seem to be constantly reinventing what we think cycling is every couple of years because of you know, you know the media churn. It's it's a per- very almost bordering a perverse thing. But um, this is a good move in New South Wales if it gets up. And I just want to close close here. Miss McKay said Labor would end coalitions and in uh, uh, quotations here war on cyclists against New South Wales uh, under former Roads Minister Duncan Gay. End quote, which she had claimed led to a fall in people choosing to ride. Duncan Gay was a very choosing my words carefully. A very uh, intriguing character. Anyway, uh, so um. Uh, but, uh, yeah, last year the City of Sydney, which had a big focus on active transport, unveiled plans to redouble efforts to complete missing links on the cycleways across the inner city because uh, Sydney's got some great protected cycleways. Down here in Melbourne we've got a few. There seem to be little projects, little experiments. It's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, Vic Roads and councils do try, but it seems like the heavy lifting for cycling infrastructure falls back to local councils when Really, the state government and the federal government should really be starting to pick up on this because if you look at the, you know, if you compare percentages of uh, infrastructure spend on cycling, it is absolutely tiny compared to what we do for roads and tollways and private partner partnerships and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, I am going to take a break and I'll be back with Alan from Freestyle Cyclists. Has your subscription lapsed? We want you back. Spend more than the evening with us. Reunite with us. Subscribe to 3CR and get excited. Call 9419 8377 or donate online, 3cr.org.au. And let's get back together. It'll feel so good. If you share the growing concern about racism, fascism and the move to the extreme right, Come along to our forum on a Bill of Rights for Australia on Sunday the 17th of March at the Unitarian Church, 110 Grey Street, East Melbourne, commencing at 11am. 
Speakers include Professor Gillian Triggs, Professor Rob Watts, Julian Burnside QC and the Human Rights Law Centre. RSVP to admin at melbourneunitarian.org.au Our democratic rights are under threat. If you care, be there. The Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church is a 3CR supporter. And you're back listening to Yarra Bicycle User Group Radio on Community Radio 3CR. And on the line today, I've got Alan from Freestyle Cyclists. Alan. Good morning, Chris. Sorry for the uh, speedy delivery there, but uh, this is live radio. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. So there's been a lot happening in the last 12 months or so since we've had a chat. Yes, actually, I think it's a couple of years since you and I had a chat. Yeah, but we do keep tabbed with this issue. Yeah, good, good. One of the most important things that's happened for us in the last year is that Bicycle Network, who are generally considered the major bike advocacy group in the country, they've actually come on board with a recommendation that we reform our anti-cycling mandatory bike helmet laws. Okay, so that's um, they had that uh, discussion paper kind of on hold for a while, didn't they? That's right. Look, they took quite a long time to uh, to do their, their review of their policy, which uh, is only right and proper. And what they came up with was a couple of documents. One was a sort of rapid review of the scientific literature, which came out pretty much as these reviews always do with on the one hand and on the other hand. <laughs> They're... Because, because the academic world's divided in this because they basically are talking about different things. And the other part was their actual uh, policy paper and they recognised that Australia had gone down a path on its own. I think one of the things they quoted in that was, if you set out on a journey and nobody follows you, you're just taking a walk. Mm. Which is their way of saying, we haven't led the world on this and time to rethink it. At this stage, they're recommending a five-year trial to allow adults' helmet choice on bike paths, footpaths and shared paths. It's not quite as far as we'd like to go, but I think if that was to be enacted, it would be pretty much game over as far as Australia's obsession with the need to wear a helmet on a bike goes. Because the thing we've got to um, look at, I think, with uh, people's discussion of this is Hardly, well, hardly anywhere else in the world acts like we do towards this this um, mandatory helmet legislation. It's something that's been actually it's a new thing relatively to Australian um, behaviour because it's only been enforced upon us in the last thirty years. And prior to that, people are a bit more uh, could you say pragmatic? Oh yes, a little a little bit kinder, more sensible, more accepting of difference. Australia's actually, we always say it's one of three countries with a nationally enforced all-ages helmet law because New Zealand's got one and the United Arab Emirates have one. But even in these countries, New Zealand's sort of lost its appetite for enforcement. And in Auckland, which accounts for, I think, a third of the New Zealand population, it's a big city now, in Auckland there were only 70 bike helmet fines issued in the last year. It's in a, in a city of one and a half million. In Melbourne, there were 3,000. In Sydney, there were 6,000. In Adelaide, there were 3,000. So well, we'd actually say Australia is the only place in the world that 
is still digging its head in the sand, if you like, digging its heels in and pursuing this crazy attack on cycling. Because uh, in the, was it earlier this month, there was a report that came out from the New University of New South Wales, which no doubt you would have quite a bit to say about, about uh, the report reveals that many lives have been saved by bicycle helmets. I don't have a lot to say about that. It was a pretty uh, ordinary piece of research. What the authors did was uh, plot the trend in cycling fatalities before and after helmet legislation. And obviously there was a drop in in, uh, cyclist fatalities following legislation. There was a drop in cycling participation. It's well documented and agreed on by almost everyone except the authors of that report. So what they went on to do was sail on and say, well, we don't think there was any decline in cycling, so this is all down to helmet laws, aren't they wonderful? If I could put it in simple terms, if you made it illegal for anyone over the age of 30 to ride a bicycle, you would get a huge drop in cycling uh, deaths and injuries, but you wouldn't have made cycling any safer. And that's more or less what helmet laws did. It led to a drop in in death and injury because it led to a drop in cycling. So what would you, from a, um, okay, you see uh, the helmet legislation or the manager helmet legislation is a driver for um, percentage drop. Do you also see, like I think we've discussed this as well, as the the onus is back on to the user for their own safety so therefore we don't have to, um, you know, know, they being government and or... Um, organisations or whatever don't have to go and spend money on um, infrastructure. Yeah, it's an absolute distraction from the things that actually make cycling safer. And I've often, we often quote the Netherlands. Uh, people are probably a bit sick of us quoting the Netherlands, but they do have one quarter of the death rate and one tenth of the injury rate of Australian cyclists, and they don't wear helmets. So clearly, helmets are not a major player in cyclist safety. So let's just put them aside. And by put them aside, I don't mean business as usual. Let's just allow people to make their own choice and deal with the things that actually put cyclists at risk. And the things that put cyclists at risk are poor road design and having to share high-speed roads and poorly designed intersections with motor vehicles. Hmm... Um, I was just going to go back to this article from uh, New South Wales um, Uni. There's always going to be pushback around public health initiatives like these. At any time the government says you need to curb your behaviour, there's pushback against seatbelts and getting your kids vaccinated. Like when the time just uh, like when the government decided to do something about carbon emissions, nobody was happy. Right, we changed government. It's a pretty few, pretty loaded comments in that. Um, well, it's not the sort of comments I'd expect from uh, an impartial, even-handed academic. But the authors of this of this study are well known in the public domain as being advocates for helmet law. They're not dispassionate researchers. They, they have an agenda, and and the way they present that information and the what you've just read me, it kind of shows where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And when they talk about you know pushback against seatbelts. There's not a country in the OECD that doesn't have seatbelt laws. I doubt if there's a country in the world that doesn't have them. I haven't looked in detail. But there's only three countries in the world that have all ages mandatory helmet laws. So <laughs> I yeah, think you can draw your own conclusion. Yeah, I think, I think it's an interesting thing where we're kind of like um, there's uh, that false equivalence thing comes in because like in Australia, we were a bit of 
we, we, we did get experimented upon from the 50s up to the 60s and 70s to do with um, drink driving and um, wearing uh, um, seatbelts and a whole bunch of safety initiatives. And all these may be well and good, you know, led to things like the TAC and a whole bunch of stuff, but in many ways we've regressed in terms of our behaviour. And this is a very important point I'd like to bring out about road user behaviour. We, the cyclists, we tend to get blamed for just about everything we do. Oh, you're so right. There's an almost hysterical response to cycling in, in Australia. Uh, it's worse in some parts than in others. I mean, I was riding along in Williamstown the other day, quiet back street, and I had this clown in his car banging his head with his forefinger, you know, because I wasn't wearing a helmet. I mean, who behaves like that? Is that normal behaviour? Yeah, it, I could have been. Mm. I could have been smoking, and nobody would have cared. Yeah, it's a concern troll or yeah, something. I could have been sitting in a car getting obese, and nobody would have cared. But yeah. something about cyclists and cyclists without cyclists with helmets are, are antagonised because all cyclists are cyclists without have fingers pointed, comments made. It's it's really bizarre, and and when you have horrible accidents, you know, where people are killed or injured. The first thing they say about the cyclist is, if they weren't wearing a helmet, is they weren't wearing a helmet. Well, if you've been... That somehow absolves the system, the motorist, everybody else. Mm. It absolves everyone else for responsibility for what is appalling road design and, and, and driver behaviour in this country. Yeah, and it's something we've, I think we've touched upon on the show a few times. I think I might have discussed this with you, but I think people who ride bikes are perceived by media outlets and journalists and uh, people looking for a quick, um, cheap shot. It's probably we're one of the last out groups you can have a crack at. You know, yes. you know, like Look everyone, you. yeah, with a, with yeah, Me Too and um, people's rise of consciousness to do with things around gender issues and identity politics and the rest of it. We're seen as probably one of the last groups you can go, I can get away with being as mean and as ignorant as possible. Well, you're not actually born a cyclist. No, that's exactly. So, but if you replaced cyclist with the name of any ethnic or religious minority in, in a number of the articles we see in, in quite respectable media in this country, if you replaced cyclist with, well, I won't name anything, but with, any, as I said, any ethnic minority, you would be hauled before a tribunal for racial vilification. It's... Mm. It seem, people seem to feel that they have uh, carte blanche to just dismiss anyone on a bike as a cyclist and as somehow deserving of their own vulnerability. Yeah, and no. I, do, I do date this back to 1990. It wasn't like this before the helmet law. I am old enough to remember. And the, the extreme antagonism towards cyclists has grown up hand in hand with cyclists being marked by their helmets. It, it's a sociological marker, really. Yeah, because I, I find it uh, really quite amusing of like um, as soon as the, the term, you know, cyclist comes up, it's almost like it's a, it's a dog whistle to anyone who thinks they're an absolute instant expert on the subject to um, unleash the, you know, the, the festering garbage in their mind. I mean, I, I, I can't believe that some of the stuff people come out with and it's like, would you do this to someone who plays tennis or someone who plays cricket or someone who's dressed in a certain way because they're a tradie and they have to work, you know, dress in a certain way? No, you don't, you don't unleash what you think they should be doing when they might be actually be an expert 
or a professional at what they do. It's something really bizarre going on there where, you know, the the pundit comes out of people's brain and they I know exactly what I'm going to talk about when they probably only know about, you know, 0.2% of what they're about to um, open their mouth on. And, of course, the the, the situation's really muddied in Australia because about 80% of the cycling done in this country is sport and recreation. Yeah. Now... I have no problem with sport and recreational cycling. It's like golf and tennis. It's a nice, healthy activity, and it gives people a lot of pleasure and builds communities. But the cycling that we're really talking about, the the freestyle cyclist movement, we're talking about utility cycling. You get on a bike to go somewhere, where the ride is not the point. The ride is how you get there. And we're sort of included with this whole narrative around high-speed racing, what you wear. The word lycra is always coming up. And and I look at that and think, this is nothing to do with me. This is absolutely nothing to do with me. You're talking about riding for transport, you know. And Putting the trans back into transport. That's it, exactly. Now, got you on the show today. We've just got probably two, three minutes on this, Alan. Let's lift the. Let's go a bit more upbeat. You've got an event coming up. We certainly do. This is the third time we've run it. It's now we're going for our third annual Stop Finding Healthy Transport Helmet Optional Protest Ride. We chose the name Stop Finding Healthy Transport because we think what we do is a healthy form of transport and we get fined for it. It's just ludicrous. We've run this one for the last couple of years and we have the same the same starting place this year it's on the 16th of march saturday two weeks on saturday and we're starting at the park street dining which is the cafe on the capital city trail near the nicholson street intersection so that's up there in carlton north that's right that's it 11 a.m so we'll we'll gather there just before 11 and then we'll have a briefing and all head off and wind our way towards Abbotsford Convent. Now, we've had really good turnouts the last two years, good media coverage and pretty positive support from the community. And I've and and got a bit of uh, a lovely group of people too. Oh, I'm glad you said it. You couldn't, you couldn't think of a finer selection of people you'd like to go for a ride with. Well, we are just pretty straightforward, normal, decent people who want to be left to get on with our lives doing something good and healthy and not be bothered for it. Hmm. So what, what in closing do uh, you think is going to uh, happen with the next 12 months you know, um, with, with your ongoing uh, campaign? Now, this is where I'd love to be the, the, the positive optimist, but I'd, I'd have to say the signs in Victoria from the state government are not encouraging. I, I, I found this, this current government to be V negative on cycling. I don't think they really get what it's about. They they did a review of the state's cycling strategy last year and acknowledged that there had actually been a decline in participation, but there was nothing there to, to actually address this. They refused to address the issue of helmet law reform. So I wouldn't be looking for much from the states, from the state. But at the local government level, there's a great deal more appetite for encouraging active transport. So I think getting involved at the local government level is important. And also, we've been working quite closely with Bicycle Network, and we will be supporting them in campaigning to have their recommendations enacted. So that's the upside. Thank you so much for your time today, Alan. Not at all, Chris. 
hope you can join us in, in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much. Okay. Transitions Film Festival returns to Cinema Nova this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about what it means to be human. Featuring local and international documentaries, the festival covers social and technological innovations, big ideas and changemakers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, food revolutions, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival, February the 21st to March the 8th at Cinema Nova. Tickets from transitionsfilmfestival.com. A 3CR supporter. Back listening to Yarrabaska Youth Group Radio on Community Radio 3CR. A little bit of news and events. Where has my little marker gone? There it is. Okay, coming up in April is the Handmade Bicycle Show Australia for 2019. Now, this is a ticketed event. Uh, I believe, I'm just looking at here, it's uh, $12.50 to $70. So I think that upper range might be if you actually want to um, put an entry in. But uh, this is going to be at the Meat Market at 5 Blackwood Street in North Melbourne uh, from Friday the 26th of July. I just said April. Yes, I did. To Sunday the 28th of April. And uh, it looks like a fantastic little event. Uh, the opening night is on the Friday 26. Join us in Melbourne as we present the Handmade Bicycle Show Australia 2019, featuring the finest makers of bespoke bicycles and accessories from around Australia and beyond. The makers will also be in attendance to talk about their craft. This is an opportunity to savour the craft of handmade bicycles and mingle with the legends of the industry. So there's going to have a... All the normal things like food, coffee, beer, wine and um, great stuff that uh, have a really good couple of days. So get in contact with um, the Handmade Bicycle Show uh, and the, uh, yes, the website, that's all important, which is Handmade Bicycle Show. Um, that's all one word. And look it up on Facebook. I will put better details than that into the podcast. Okay, that's all I've got time for today on the show. Thank you so much for Alan from the uh, Freestyle Cyclist for doing an interview at such short notice that I had something not work out. And it's really great when we have guests who can fill the show up and also be quite uh, erudite and chatty like Alan is. Don't forget, our show should be up on podcast later today on 3cr.org.au. And uh, all presenters on the 3CR, we're volunteers. And uh, the station relies upon the subscriptions and donations from our lovely, lovely listeners. So, you know, 3CR is driven by energy, politics and passion of our volunteers, members who turn up and do the work week in, week out. And we need your commitment to stay on air. So go to 3cr.org.au and uh, look for the uh, subscribe or donate option and keep this show going. Thank you so much for today. That's a little bit too loud there from Turin Break, so I'll just fade it down a little bit. Thank you so much, and I'll be back in about a fortnight. See ya.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.